Uh, Before I start, let me pray for us. Gracious Father, as we come before you this morning to hear your word, uh, I pray that you might help me to speak it faithfully. Uh, We pray that it might help to encourage our hearts, help it to challenge our thoughts. We pray that your word might change our ways to be more like you, trusting in what you have done for us through Jesus. And Lord, may everything we do and say bring glory and honour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, as we've been going through the past few weeks, our passage is about faith. Now, I could start by talking about how everyone has faith and that you all have shown faith even this morning. Uh, You've shown faith in the personal factory that made the chair that you're sitting on. Or you showed faith in the company that made the car that got you here. Uh, Or possibly the mechanic that works on it quite regularly as well. Uh, You've shown faith during the week that the 756 express train from Greensboro Station will get you to work on time. These are all examples of faith, and they're examples of how there are outcomes for the faith that we show. The outcome of faith in your chair is that hopefully you're able to sit on it and your chair hasn't collapsed yet, or the, the car that you drive was able to get you here this morning, or the 756 came, as expected it was 10 minutes late, but you were still able to start work on time. These are all outcomes of faith. And the world wants you to put faith in things. The world says you should put your faith in money, as that will provide you long-term security for the rest of your life. Or you should put faith in medicine or science. Uh, We recently received a pamphlet at home from a place called the Centenary Institute. It noted a man, Reese, who'd been diagnosed with melanoma and was given three months to live. And in that, the pamphlet stated this. It said, he has great faith in medical research and the future development of new drugs to prolong his life further. Or the world says you should have faith in yourself, faith that you are in control, faith that you can achieve whatever you want and be whatever you want. But faith, the type of faith the author in Hebrews is talking about, is so different to the faith that the world pushes. And this faith is so much better than the world can see and so much better than what the world offers. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been working our way through Hebrews chapter 11. And in reality, chapter 11 is one big section that needs to be taken also in the context from the end of chapter 10, and it really culminates at the start of chapter 12, which is why we read that whole section this morning. Now, many people term this chapter as the chapter that deals with the great heroes of the faith. That is, we hear and read about how, by faith, as you'll hopefully picked up on as Yenny was reading it, these great men and women from the Old Testament were able to achieve so much and to be noted as great heroes of faith for God. And the start of the chapter gives a definition of the faith the author is talking about. And we need to be clear about this kind of faith to understand the outcomes the author shows in today's passage. So this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So faith is a life in which things are hoped for but not yet seen or possessed. Faith is having the absolute certainty that God will fulfill his promises and that those promises are true for us as well. 
It's almost like it's saying we are living as if we're seeing the unseen, as the passage said earlier. Now the author starts today's passage like this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about. Now it'd be easy to think that what the author is trying to get across is that he wants to move on, that he's made his point and he's had enough of talking about faith. But he's not saying, do I really have to keep going here? No. What he's really saying is, isn't it obvious by now that faith has always been what it's about? Right from the start, it has been about faith. He's saying there would not be enough time for me to give you every example of faith from the Word of God. The Old Testament is filled with people like this. His point seems to be that there are simply too many examples of faith to recount, and so he sort of speeds up and speaks in more general terms. And by speeding up, the author, in this part of chapter 11, simply begins to list names and situations without any great details. So this from verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. The first four men in this list that we've read today are from the time of the judges. And if you look carefully at the list of the things noted by the author that these four men and the others that he hasn't had time to list, they've had some pretty triumphant outcomes because of their faith. Each of these men, by faith, was used by God to gain a great victory over oppressors in some amazing circumstances. And now the author said he didn't have time, but I think it's worthwhile to take a little time to actually hear about what these four men did. Uh, why? Partly because the readers of the day would have had a good understanding of the stories of these men and how they showed faith. And partly because, before I really started to take a deep look into this passage, my understanding of some of these characters was very limited. Uh, so I suppose for me, hearing this was an encouragement to read the Old Testament more, which can only be a good thing. So encourage you, read your Old Testament, it's great. So let's start with Gideon, an amazing story of a man who God used in an amazing way. Uh, this is in Judges 6, he started out with 32,000 men to go into battle against, so he had 32,000 men. But as it notes in Judges 6, the army that he was against lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand is on the seashore. Even 32,000 men didn't sound like enough to combat an army like that. But God had Gideon whittle away his army down to, about, uh, down to just 300 men. And through faith, this small army delivered Israel from the Midianites. And Barak? Well, Barak, he fought it and defeated the Canaanites who had 900 chariots of iron and oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Or Samson, he's probably a better-known character to most of us. He not only had some amazing strength and some pretty long hair, he was able to tear apart a lion that was attacking him with his bare hands. He captured 300 foxes with his bare hands. He defeated a 1,000 men with just the jawbone of a donkey. 
This Samson also delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then finally, Jephthah delivered the Israelites from the Ammonites. These are pretty amazing acts of faith with some pretty amazing outcomes. But I think it's important that we don't get too caught up in what I would term a veggie tale understanding of Old Testament characters and stories. That is, in our times, we probably hear about them and think of almost Hollywood-style characters of, and stories of greatness and heroism. These examples of faith are really not as they seem. The men noted here, if you actually read the story in Judges, had some pretty serious flaws and struggles. They were not really the type of people you would expect to be termed great heroes. Uh, Gideon really was a bit of a wuss. Uh, he even asked God to prove himself twice before he would do anything. Uh, Barak needed to be coaxed into doing God's work through holding hands with a prophetess. Uh, Samson, if you read it carefully, was in reality a selfish womanizer. Uh, Jephthah made an outrageous vow that could only be termed as utterly ridiculous. None of them were perfect, just like us. But each of them by faith was used by God to gain victory over oppressors. The scriptures make it clear that each of them lived with a deep consciousness of the invisible God and they were able to bring about a great deliverance for God's people through their faith. After these four men, the author then mentions David and Samuel and the prophets. David, though he had some epic failures with sin himself, he lived with a strong faith in God that was expressed in many ways. Samuel, who was the last of the judges and a prophet as well, was one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. From Samuel, the author proceeds to mention the prophets generally. The Old Testament records many faithful prophets who spoke and lived with faith in God. People like Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah and Jeremiah, among others. The author then goes on to list some of the feats of faith that such people accomplished. He says who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. These are some of their triumphs of faith, and they all sound pretty impressive, don't they? He says they conquered kingdoms. Certainly this was true of the judges, but it was especially true of King David, who won great military victories and extended the borders of Israel. These men performed acts of righteousness, which the NIV translates as administered justice. People like David and Samuel helped establish a just government that administered justice. And when it says that they obtained promises, it's speaking of specific promises made to them. Promises such as the establishment of David on the throne, which can be read in 2 Samuel 7, or the promise God fulfills to Hezekiah in Isaiah 37 and 2 Chronicles 30, 32. Uh, in, that's in the defeat of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. These were specific promises that were given that were completely fulfilled by God. Through faith, they received specific blessings promised by God. By faith, Daniel was one who shut the mouths of lions when he was thrown into the lion's den in Babylon. And when we think of quenching the power of fire, we think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who as captives in Babylon refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol, and as a result they were thrown into a fire. But by faith, 
they escaped unharmed. Listen to what they said as they're about to be thrown into the fire. This is from Daniel 3. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three men looked to a God that they could not see, and they trusted him. They had a faith that said, we will trust him if he does deliver us, and we trust him if he doesn't. And as it turns out, by faith, they escaped the flames unharmed. By faith, others escaped the sword. David escaped from the sword of Saul, Elijah from Jezebel, and Elisha from Jehoram. By faith, there were those who from weakness were made strong. This was true of Gideon, our Samson as well, who after losing his strength, by faith, once again was made strong by God, that he might win a great victory over the Philistines. By faith, they became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. This was true of all these men that the author lists. The last thing he lists that's an example of a triumph of faith is found in verse 35. The author says this, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Uh, one example of this in the Old Testament is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, where it tells of a woman whose son had died and Elisha brought him back to life. The woman went to Elisha knowing him as God's man and in faith her son came back to life. God is present and active in our world today with the same power and wisdom as he was when Daniel was in the lion's den or when David defeated Goliath. And because this is true, we need to refuse to look at things in our own lives only from what is possible from a human perspective. We need to look to God. Uh, when these examples of faith did that, they experienced great triumphs. Uh, the writer of Hebrews wants us to trust God. He wants us to look to him in faith regardless of our situations. Because by faith, sometimes there are great triumphs. God commended faith in Old Testament characters, even though they may not have been reputable, even though they might not really be the heroes we expect. But God commended their faith. And God provided great triumphs for them in this world. And how does God want us to look to him? Well, he wants us to look to him through reading his word reading his promises and trusting that they are true, obeying and trusting him, by praying to him, bringing to God our joys, our sorrows, our thoughts, our needs, our requests. And when we exercise faith in this way, we please God. Now, as we come to the middle of verse 35, a lot of us might have a problem. We might stop and think, this faith gives great things. This faith promises great blessings. I actually think many churches would probably stop here and not go on and read more. They would use the first part of this passage to say, if you have faith in God, then there is only ever great outcomes in this world. As a quick but, import, um, but important aside, there is a teaching out there sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. Uh, this teaching says that if you have just enough faith, if you just believe enough, everything is going to turn out as a triumph in this world. These are the type of people who stop reading at verse 34. If you think like this, when suffering comes, 
we are actually set up for a grave disappointment either with God or with ourselves. We'll either think God has failed us, or we will think that since I'm suffering, there must be something wrong with my faith. And that simply may not be the case, because as we read the next several verses, we don't see triumph, we see suffering, but we still see faith in God. Sometimes faith leads to suffering. So this is from verse 35. Women received their dead, they were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The author wants us to understand that though every expression of faith pleases God, not every expression of faith will result in a triumph in this world. And it's interesting that the author makes this transition from triumph to suffering without any real explanation. I think the reason why is that from the author's perspective, these examples of people, unnamed people, whose faith did not bring triumph in this world but suffering, are still examples of strong faith. And so he says that in some cases women received back their dead through resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Many commentators describe the events surrounding the martyrdom of a 90-year-old Jewish scribe, Eleazar, as an example of what the author is actually talking about here. Uh, Jewish historians record that during the Maccabean era between the Old and New Testament, the Greek ruler Antiochus IV Epiphanes, a great name, isn't it? Uh, he tried to get Eleazar to renounce his commitment to God. He promised Eleazar that he would release him if he would renounce his commitment. But Eleazar did not accept this, and by faith he chose to be tortured and killed rather than to renounce his faith in God so that he might inherit a better resurrection. And when the author says better resurrection, he's making a contrast to the early use of resurrection in this verse. The first one referred to resurrection in this world, such as the woman's son experienced when Elisha raised him. Uh, but that boy eventually died again. You see, this resurrection is better because it is a resurrection to never-ending life. People like Eleazar and others could have forsaken God and been released from their bonds. But instead, by faith, they refused to do so because they were seeking this better resurrection. Their faith knew that the unseen world was more real than anything else. Their faith brought suffering in this world for something so much better. Verse 36 goes on to say this, And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah was one who experienced such treatment. He was beaten and put in stocks. His own family even mocked him. Of others, the writer says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned for proclaiming Jesus, as were others. Isaiah was one who tradition says was sawn in two at the hands of King Manasseh. Earlier, the author had said that some, by faith, escaped the sword. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Here he also says that faith, by faith, some were put to death by the sword. You see, faith doesn't always result in the same result. Sometimes there is triumph in this world, while other times there is suffering. The author also says that others were roughly dressed and destitute in a worldly sense. This was true of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, even John the Baptist, but probably other prophets as well. These were people who were poor in terms of earthly resources, position and privilege, and yet he makes this amazing statement about them. He says they were men of whom the world was not worthy. The world looked at such people that he's been describing and judged them to be unworthy, and so the world tortured them and killed them. The world persecuted and imprisoned them. But God says of such people that the world was not worthy of them. What an amazing commendation. By faith, these men and women suffered all sorts of things, some to the extent of being martyred for their faith. All of them, though, through their faith, gained God's divine approval. The Hebrews needed to hear this message because they were suffering for their faith. And because of their suffering, they were tempted to turn away from Christ. And yet these Old Testament examples of faith would have reminded them that there were others who suffered deeply for their faith and yet remained faithful. And because of that faithfulness, they were commended by God. The writer is urging the Hebrews, in light of these examples, to continue to live with endurance, to remain faithful, to persevere. He wants them to know that sometimes faith leads to great triumphs, but that at other times faith leads to suffering. But we need to hold on to our faith in a faithful God. We need to hear this message as well. We need to hear that even though there may be suffering, that things may be hard, that God wants us to persevere, to remain faithful, to continue turning to him in faith. Now, there may be things in your life that are not what you expected or wanted. There may be times where you're not triumphant or successful in a worldly sense, when you're not healed from the long-term illness, or when finances might be a struggle, when relationships are difficult, when things are just hard. Maybe you need your faith stirred up that you might truly look to God in faith, to your work in your life, in your marriage that's struggling, or for your kids, or for a financial concern, or for freedom from that sin that's enslaved you. It's an opportunity to continue to look to the unseen world and walk by faith in a God who really does love you and care about you. Keep walking by faith. Faith is what pleases God, and faith is what God rewards. Today's passage is to encourage you to persevere. Today's passage would say that you are not alone, that there may be struggles and things that just don't work out how you would want. Your experience is not unusual. It's an experience the author has noted that's happened to many others. But it's also saying be encouraged. Be encouraged that if this is where you are, you're in the company with many saints, both in the Bible and in more recent times, who have walked this same path. Continue on with a life of genuine faith, the genuine faith that God commends. Continue to turn to him. Continue to rely on him. You see, sometimes faith leads to suffering, but we also talked about sometimes faith leads to triumph. And for some of us, this is also the message that we might need to hear. 
A triumph might be a promotion that you need to support your family financially. A triumph may be that you've had an opportunity to tell of your faith to others at your work or school. A triumph, and this is for me as well, may be that your children listened to you and did the chores without having to be asked 25 times. That's a triumph. Um, so sometimes faith leads to triumph, and so continue to trust God. Faith is what pleases God, and faith is what God rewards. Keep trusting. Enjoy the triumphs when they come. It's okay to enjoy the rewards of faith on earth. Remember to encourage others with their faith. Remember to keep your eyes on the ultimate reward, because regardless of anything, there will be a suffering that will be felt by all and enter living in this world. And when that happens, it is faith, the genuine faith that you've shown in him, regardless of your circumstances, that he will reward. And what is this great outcome of faith? Well, the last two verses in this passage really point to the great outcome of faith. It says this from verse 39. And all these, that's men that have been mentioned through the whole of chapter 11, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. He says that all these people, he's talked about in chapter 11, gained approval through their faith. And, and yet while this is true, he says that they did not receive what was promised. Yes, some obtained promises, but none received the promise, which refers to Jesus. God has given us Jesus. This, this is the something better that God has provided for us in the New Testament, and this continues today. Through Christ, we've now been made perfect. Our sin has been dealt with through the cross, and we now have unrestricted access to God, a faithful God, and the promise of eternal life. And being perfect means we're fit for the new heaven and earth, the heavenly Jerusalem, his heavenly kingdom. The greats in chapter 11 are just as dependent on Christ as believers are now. These men and women hadn't seen Christ, but by faith they persevered, knowing that God had something so much better for them. And our faith will have the same reward that their faith did. God's faithfulness to them was shown in the coming of the Son, the one who fulfilled all the promises. This is what they hoped for. This is where their faith was. Faith is what pleases God, and faith is what God rewards. And verse 40 says that God has provided something better for us. What is this something better? Well, God has given us the better priest, if you've been here with us through Hebrews, the great high priest, Jesus, able to do what no other priest could do, able to enter God's presence and sit at his right hand, interceding on our behalf. God has given us the perfect sacrifice, the better covenant, Jesus and his salvation. This is something that these Old Testament examples of faith could only look forward to. And God commended faith in Old Testament characters. It was faith, their faith, that God commended them for, not their achievements. And the same is true for us. It's not the scale of our achievements. It's the faith in which we do what we do that pleases God. It's not our situation. It's the faith we put in him that really matters. And faith, dependence on God, is fundamentally the right way to relate to God. It recognises where God really is and where we really are. 
Faith is to see how things really are. In reality, outside of God, we've got nothing. He's got everything. We need him. You see, there are a great many people who've been noticed by the world, but not noticed by God. And there are those who have gone unnoticed, the so-called little people of this world, who've gone completely unnoticed, who are greatly valued by God and will be rewarded in eternity beyond our wildest imaginations. And we may never even heard of their names because they live their lives in faith regardless of the situation, regardless of the earthly outcome. You see, the outcome of faith, a genuine faith in God, is a much greater reward than any triumph on earth could ever give and is worth persevering for, inheritance in his heavenly kingdom. And what is it that God wants? Well, it's dependence on him, trusting in his word, trusting the gospel. We need to entrust ourselves to what God has done in Christ in faith. It is faith, trusting in God for salvation that God wants. Faith in God's word. Faith that God, creator of heaven and earth, is always faithful. Faith that what Jesus says about himself is true. Faith that Jesus died as a substitute to take on the punishment that we deserve. Faith that Christ rose again, that our sin has been dealt with fully and finally. Faith that we have an eternal inheritance in God's heavenly kingdom. Faith is what pleases God, and faith is what God rewards. Persevere in faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you might help us to live lives of faith, genuine faith, trusting and knowing that you are with us always, no matter the circumstance. Help us to rely on you knowing the great outcomes that you have promised us. Help us to live our lives as lives of faith, seeking your kingdom always. And may all glory be to you. In Jesus' name, amen.